Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for pets. Whether it's vetting potential buyers, socializing your puppies, or getting through those glorious 3 a.m. feeding sessions, you and I both know how many priorities a breeder has to juggle. That's why Trepanion designed their breeder support program, to give you peace of mind. It includes a special offer of Trupanion coverage for your litters, your own dedicated account manager, and access to an exclusive Facebook group for breeders. They'll even keep you stocked up on puppy kits with professional marketing materials. All of this at no cost to you. Sign up is easy and free. Just follow the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I have a special treat for y'all today. I'm bringing you a sneak peek inside the Pure Dog Talk patrons after dark. We host these virtual get-togethers every month, and we have a wonderful group of people that are really enjoying the opportunities that are available exclusively to patrons. So take a listen if this is something that appeals to you at the end of the show today, there will be more information about how you can join the patrons group and get all this inside scoop. Enjoy. Welcome to the Pure Dog Talk After Dark, only and exclusively for our patrons. These are folks who are super excited to join the world of Pure Dog Talk and all the stuff that we've got. And today we got you. And I'm thrilled. And so we are going to talk about ringside anxiety management and some of the behaviors. And I'm super excited about this because I've got me a COVID puppy. <laughs> I have one too. Yeah. Super excited to uh, learn some tips and tricks of the trade from the professional Melina Demartini. And so Melina, I think I'm going to give you like a few minutes to kind of do your little spiel. And then maybe we can open it up for questions. How's that sound? That'd be great. That'd be great. Excellent. Go, girl. Okay. Well, my little spiel is going to be a little spiel. (laughs) I just want to say I'm going to make the big, bold, loud caveat that I do not show. I do not have tremendous, if much, experience with the show ring. I do have amazing colleagues and friends and even family that do show. And you listen to a podcast. And I've listened to actually more than one podcast. But I want to just caveat that because I really feel strongly about what I do and what I've been doing for over 20 years now is working with separation anxiety in the home. And separation anxiety in the home versus anxiety ringside in a crate or otherwise, I think is different. And so I just want to make sure I'll lend the understanding, experience, and knowledge that I have that I bring from the separation anxiety realm 
but there are going to be things that you may say or ask that I'll be like, got nothing. So sorry. Well, extrapolation is a thing. You know, I do think that we can extrapolate basic anxiety. What is it we call them? Behavior concerns, anxiety issues with our dogs that those happen in various places and it is still anxiety and addressing it as anxiety. So we're going to get to hear quite a few things from Melina. I'm very excited about that. So go ahead, Melina. Yeah. So I think the last thing that I want to say before we just open it up for questions and we just have a chat amongst ourselves. And so I kind of have a question for all of you is that one of the things that you all do brilliantly is observe your dogs at observing your dog's body language in a variety of arenas. And I mean, metaphorical arenas, not actual physical ring arenas, but also in that as well. So what I think is important, and it's not always easy, is to discern whether we have ringside anxiety, whether we have ringside frustration, whether we have And I hate to use this term because I don't know if it's really appropriate to apply to dogs, but sort of fear of missing out. Like, I want to be in the ring now. Oh, it's definitely a thing. Is it? Okay. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, I want to be in the ring now, not in 20 minutes kind of thing. And I think that frustration and FOMO are handled a little differently than actual anxiety outside the ring. I love that. That's actually really interesting. And I'm hoping, Melina, maybe you can talk us through some ideas. What are cues to you as a trainer that this is fully anxiety or this is some excitement or FOMO or whatever? What are some of those cues that you're going to pick up on as a trainer? So some of them are really overt. If we see a dog panting and drooling, We're going to throw that into the anxiety bucket. Panting, assuming it's not hot outside or whatever. Those are going to usually go into the anxiety bucket. One of the things that I like to do is I'm kind of a data geek. I used to be a statistician before I became a dog professional. Talk about one side of the brain to the other side of the brain. I don't know. And long, long story as to how I got into the dog professional world, but I took all those experiences with me. So as a data geek, one of the things that I really like to do is collect data, whether it's a recording or whether it's just some notes that you take. What is your dog like in two, three, four different situations? So let's just say you're going to have your dog in a crate ringside. And I know ringside is going to vary based on the show. And some of you will or will not have your dog in a crate, but we're just going to use crate as an example. If your dog has one type of behavior when they're in the crate at home, let's look at that baseline behavior. Take some notes. What does it look like? Head down, snoring, eyes closed, hip roll to one side, et cetera. Then let's take another baseline behavior, dog in crate. And again, this doesn't have to be in a crate, but I'm using that as an example. Dog in crate, 
sitting at the park bench where there's a lot of stimulus happening. Doesn't have to be a ton, but something in crate. Then let's take the third and you could even do a fourth, but let's just talk three for right now. The third would be ringside in crate. Where do you see the differences? And of course you will see differences. I mean, my gosh, if your dog is showing frustration, FOMO, or anxiety in the crate at home, I'm sure you will be working on it. We've got more issues. <laughs> yeah, then we've got bigger fish to fry. But we want to kind of look at what is their baseline when they're fully in relaxation or whatever we want to call it. And how does that change with external stimuli influencing them? And is that external stimuli, and the reason I say take them to a park bench or something, is that external stimuli ring-related or just stimulus-related? For instance, many people, myself included, you know, you take your dog to a cafe, you may have them lie on a mat or you may have them in a crate. What is that baseline behavior? When they're at a restaurant where there's people and potentially even dogs milling about. And is that any different, particularly is it significantly different than what their behavior is ringside? So I would love to hear some thoughts and comments on that because I think that discernment is really important. I like that, Melina. And it's interesting to me because I think it so varies by dog. Like oh. I've got dogs in my house that are no different in a dog crate at home or a dog crate in the show. Yep. That doesn't make any difference to them. Yep. They're the same dog. And then I have dogs I'm going to use throughout this. And Stacy's on here so she can pitch in if she has any other thoughts on it. Agatha is our pandemic puppy. Literally born the day they shut down the Louisville dog show. Okay. She's a Spinoni Italiano. There's a history of some occasionally a little bit weird behind her. I mean, you know, there's some of that as well, but she is noticeably more so because she has been noticeably less exposed to all the stuff. Yep. And at the dog show and at home, she's pretty much the same. There's more stimuli at the dog show. So she's more jacked up. So in that particular instance, It seems to be stimuli, various stimuli, whatever the stimuli is. I just literally, before I came in here, I was almost late because I had to run, bring her in from the yard because something out there, I have no idea what, I was sitting on the deck 40 feet from her and I don't know what it was, but something had her manic panicked, like flailing at the gate, panting and drooling, all the things that are clearly indicative to me of anxiety. Yes, in your thinking, Melina? Well, it can be. I hate to throw out an assessment without... Right, but those are cues that you think of. I do, I do. If they're crawling the fence, panting unnecessarily, and tail clamped, and ears back, and eyes Absolutely. Kind of these, to me, are indications of anxiety. I so I want to make sure I'm reading them correctly, yes? I think you are. And one of the reasons, just to circle back for one second, the reason that I mentioned that baseline is think about a situation. I'll just pick a random situation with your dog. If you were to be cooking dinner and you dropped a metal bowl on the ground, would the tail tuck, would the 
da, 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 da. she would have a startle reaction, but then she would come back. Okay. Her stimuli seems to be more about people. Oh. So her startle response to noises and other things like that isn't as much as it is to new people, new environments. Yeah. So for example, today, I think probably what set her off is the wind was blowing, (laughs) right? There's a storm. And I see a lot of dogs that aren't scared of thunder. They react to the change in barometric pressure. Correct. That's what they actually react to, not the noise of the thunder. Yes, Ingrid. So I would like to know, to your point, Laura, what Milena's thoughts are on adaptos. So for a few reasons, right? Because our pet people are told to use it for anxiety-related situations. But also, I listened to Marty Greer has a great lecture on moms and C-sections. She actually, along with the AKC, is recommending that your pregnant pre-whelp dog wear a collar 72 or longer days in addition to doing the wall, put the whatever thing. So I'd love to know because it kind of goes into your question, Laura. So I'd be so curious what your thoughts are on that or any other modalities that seem to stimulate a reaction in your animal like that. Well, I'm going to couch that for two minutes while I kind of return back to Laura's question. But one of the things that I think that all of you would agree, dogs don't particularly generalize well. So if I teach my dog to stack only in my living room, and then I expect to go into the show ring. Good luck with that. Totally valid. And I think that sometimes we forget that a little bit when we talk about bringing them to different environments. When it comes to anxiety, whether that's in a crate, whether that's out of a crate, if people are the general stimuli that are influencing your pup, then that needs to be worked on well before you get to a show ring. Oh, yeah. This is the problem we've had is, of course, COVID. (laughs) Well, indeed, indeed. And so it's interesting as we're talking through this, because remember, I was a professional dog handler. Yes. I went to dog shows all the time. My puppies went to dog shows with me. They're in a X-Pen at eight weeks at the dog show. Yep. I mean, it's been away from other dogs. Of course, of course. But I mean, they're literally on the road from the time they're two to four months old. That whole time they're traveling. And they're exposed to huge amount of stimulus in a very short amount of time and a very impressionable time in their lives. Indeed. That these puppies in the last year have not had. And I am accustomed to raising dogs in that way and struggling now. To try and figure out on the fly, I'm not doing it very well. So that's why I thought this would be really, really interesting. And definitely people are her issue. She's improving, you know, with age and time and work and all the kind of stuff. He is definitely better with me. For example, she was at the dog show with a handler friend of mine. She didn't want to stand up for the judge, for the person she didn't know very well. For me, she was willing to stand up, not beautifully, but she did stay there. So there's that confidence connection. And I say that all the time. And I'd be curious to get your read on that, that dogs take more confidence from us. Lived experience, I'm saying they do. I agree. I remember one of my very first experiences of trying to pass a test in dog training. 
And I was like, my dog. Oh, God, he's got it. He's great. He's, oh, God, we're going to ace this thing. As soon as I walked into that room, my nerves got the best of me. And the dog obviously displayed that. I don't know what's wrong with you, but we're not doing this right now because you're a mess. Yes. I frequently think the handlers need the adaptal collars. I would agree with that. (laughs) But I also think we have to be really careful and realize that there are, whether it's genetic predispositions or whether it's environmental influencers, For instance, your dog has not had as much exposure to a whole lot of people and stimuli. I think we also have to remember that just being confident in that situation isn't going to fix it. There is some counter conditioning and desensitization and other training tools that can remedy that. And we know remedial socialization is very different than socializing. And I know you know that, Laura. And I suck at it because I've never had to do it. I mean, I have, but you know what I'm saying? It's not like my go-to. So I want to get to the remedial socialization piece because I think that that is going to be a super interesting part of this conversation. But I do want to have you speak and then have Sandy speak to the use of the various incendiary adaptal or what have you. So there are a lot of natural products a lot of nutraceuticals, a lot of homeopathic remedies, but I think are very, very useful in our realm of behavior in general. I think the reason I was sort of jumping out and strongly saying that I have a bias is that dogs that have actual separation anxiety cannot be left home alone without jumping out windows or destroying door transoms or screaming and howling or urinating and defecating. And I'm not saying that I don't think natural remedies and other nutraceuticals and things are helpful, but I think there's a point in anxiety that you get that it can't touch it. It is like pouring chamomile tea on a really bad insomniac when you say I'm going to plug in an adaptal color. Now, feel away, on the other hand, and Sandy, you might agree with this or may not, Feel away, I think, is a bit stronger in its benefits. Adaptal, I think, is a wonderful, wonderful tool. For instance, when I go to my vet, who is a fear-free vet, they rub pheromones on their hands and they pet the dog, if the dog is okay with being petted, and they have it on their garb and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's great. I think there are these really wonderful adjuncts ways to shield. But when it comes to high anxiety levels, I don't think it touches that. I just don't. No, I think that's good. Sandy, I'd be curious what your thoughts and where you would weigh in with this with Melina. I agree with that. I've seen some tremendous success with Adaptil that goes along with Feel Away as well. I mean, they're the same. It's ones for cats, ones for dogs. If you don't know what it is, what they have done is mimicked the happy cat in happy dog pheromone smell and made it able to reproduce it. I have used it with absolute incredible, hands down, won't practice without its success in veterinary medicine, both the cat and the dog version. I agree it's not going to hit the extreme stuff that the dog's like chewing his way through the drywall or eating his way out of a rough, tough kennel. 
But I think it's a great tool to use in addition to the trazodone, the gabapentin, or God forbid, the acepromazine that I'm not a fan of. But if you got to go that route, at least keeps the dog from destroying himself and causing an injury. Here's the reality. One is the rescue and shelter piece. I think rescues and shelters, oh gosh, I mean, that's a topic I could talk about for hours. We want to don't have that many hours in the day. Yeah, we don't have enough hours in the day. But I feel very strongly that they need to have transparency. They can't just say, hi, Sally, isn't this a beautiful dog? Won't you love to adopt him? And his profile says he would love nothing more than to spend time with his humans. 24-7, 365, six inches away. Exactly. Literally. Yeah. And so, you know, there's that element. But I am a huge, huge advocate of quality of life. And not every pet parent, dog guardian, whatever we're calling them, has the capacity. If I can't manage it safely in my home, we all always joke about the home in the country. I am the home in the country. And you are that, Laura. But I'm a huge, huge dog advocate. But I'm also a human advocate. And I do not believe that, well, sorry, you're just going to have to change your entire life to accommodate. And many people do. And they're miserable. Mm -hmm. And the dog is not necessarily okay either. So, I mean, there has to be a compromise. And I do believe that training can be very effective. What we did 20 years ago versus what we do now is very different. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Hey, crew. Are you looking for the gold standard in canine DNA testing for your breed? Join the winning team at Embark and manage your dog's health, optimize your breeding program, and improve your litter's bloodlines. As the highest rated dog DNA test on the market, they have a lot in common with Westminster's most legendary champions. Plus, they know your breed like the back of their paw. Select ideal breeding pairs to support healthy pedigrees and lifelong care. Find out why thousands of breeders have trusted Embark to help manage their breeding program from improving genetic health and diversity to screening for disease mutations, understanding traits, and more. To save on the most accurate, most comprehensive canine DNA test, visit EmbarkVet.com and use code PUREDOGDOG to enjoy $20 off each kit in your order. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PUREDOGTALK. The world-class scientists and veterinary geneticists are standing by. So, okay, with all of that, let's open it up. Who's got questions? I know there's people in here that have questions. Who else has got stuff? Elliot. So I have a COVID puppy. He's been getting better now that we've been able to take him out more, like to some shows and all that. But I will say he's very like connected to me. He will do anything for me. But if I leave, he gets antsy, I'll call it. He behaves differently and is always looking for me wherever I am. Like I went outside literally, I don't know, two hours ago to water the flowers. 
and he was inside barking because he just saw me through the window and couldn't take his eyes off me. So is there any small little things I could do to maybe help him through that just for when I'm not here, like when my parents are here, so he's not as antsy? I'm going to ask a couple of questions really quick before I answer that question. There's a difference between him seeing you out the window watering the flowers versus you. And kind of goes back to the discussion we were having about baseline. Like if you go out and water the flowers and your dog can see you through the window and is frustrated, that is very different than if you, let's say, run an errand and your parents are home and your dog is like, don't love this but I'm not barking the whole time. And so do you think there is a difference between those two? Yeah, I would say like if he knows I'm in the vicinity, he'll whine, he'll bark for me more. Like if he can hear me upstairs and he's downstairs, that's when he'll kind of hit his peak, I'll say. Not as if I like leave the house and put him in the crate, he's fine. Okay, so I'm going to talk about two sides of the coin here. One of the things that I think you can do And this is specific for non-separation anxiety-related behaviors. This is for dogs that are a little frustrated, a little FOMO, a little that. We're going to say, I'm just going to use watering the flowers as the example. When I go out and water the flowers, you get a Kong with something super cool. Even if my parents are home. Because I want you to know, me watering the flowers equals something awesome. And you can always take some of the rations from breakfast or dinner and appropriate it towards the food toy or whatever. But put some schmear of something really high value, whatever your dog can handle. And when I say high value, I want it to be a little bit novel. I don't know what your dog eats, but I'm just going to mention like, what if your dog has never had a little teaspoon of let's just say cream cheese or peanut butter or whatever something that's a bit novel but just a bit and then that food puzzle or that chew toy it's like i love when elliot goes water the flowers because something really cool happens and so far as when you are leaving the house when your parents are home and you mentioned you know we have a bit of a covid puppy here have you ever left the puppy without your parents home? Oh, yeah. I mean, whenever they're at work and I'm at school, he's in the crate all day and he'll last eight hours. He's fine. Okay, great. And that's what's important. So what's so interesting about that, Elliot, is that he's like, I got this whole alone time thing. What I don't have is when you're nearby, I would way prefer you to be hanging out with me. And that's more of the frustration slash FOMO stuff. And so you don't have to go into some, you know, long fangled separation anxiety protocol, which some people do, but I think creating a really positive association and you can start small, by the way, um, gradual and systematic is really helpful. So be like, here's a food toy with something really yummy in it. I know it's going to last you about 10 minutes. So I'm going to only be gone for nine or nine and a half. And then I'm going to come back and I'll let you finish your stuff. And then I'll be like, okay, 
all good now. No big fuss or muss, you know. I think that would help you tremendously because that frustration, I'll give you an insider story here, Elliot. I have two dogs and one of them has only been in my home for about six months. She's got raging separation anxiety and yay, ironic. Because why not? First, I mean, because <laughs> why not? And my previous dog had separation anxiety when I adopted her, but we worked through it. But both of these dogs outside of the separation anxiety are like, don't you dare close that door on me. And my older dog, I can leave her for hours now. I worked on her separation anxiety, but if I close my office door, she's like, what the hell's going on in there? Don't even do that. Right. Are you having fun without me? Hey, Wendy, I see you down there. Step up here. This is your opportunity. Ask a question. Wendy is wonderful. She has a Malinois that she's had some complications. What are are we going to call them complications, Wendy? So talk to me about that. He's now 14 months. He arrived the day that Oregon closed everything down. And he, of course, has not been out and about very much. I tried to do as much as I can. He's improved with people drastically in the last four or five weeks. I did bring him down to those dog shows in Caldwell. He was fine with all the people. (laughs) His issue now is, and I think it's more of a frustration now that you've been speaking about that, with seeing all the different dogs at the dog show, walking him was a nightmare. No focus on me whatsoever. And typically he's quite focused. And unfortunately, he also has his hair stands up. When he gets excited. So you walk him down the road and he sees another dog and his hair goes up and everybody's terrified and run the other direction. The Maligator's on the loose. Ah! Everybody's frightened of this guy. He's very sweet. When he meets people, all he wants is cuddles. He's a little bit anxious. He's not over the top, but he is a little bit nervy. He's very different from my other Malinois. You know, we've done the whole thing of having... People give treats when they meet him, and that worked very, very nicely. With the people, I can get his attention on me whenever I want it. But I'm having a really hard time with the other dogs. He wants to play desperately. But I'm not one of these people that say they have to have friends and playtime. I just don't go for that. They do not need to have friends. Trust me. (laughs) I agree. I don't do that. You know, he's got other dogs here in the house. We behave We don't go out running around with strange dogs. Sorry, not going to happen. But it is a very big frustration. And it's not a separation anxiety. He's fine in the crate. I mean, he's asleep on his back. He's a good boy. He's got his chew toys. But he does get sort of a frustrated edge, too. Okay. So you gave me an example of what happened when you went to the show. Mostly dogs, yeah. And it was specific to dogs. Oh, you know, he'd bark at somebody if they were walking by quickly past the X-Men. But what does he do if you walk him down the street and he sees a dog? It depends on what that dog does. Okay. If there's somebody else walking a dog on a leash, he will want to go over to it, but we just keep going and he's fine. If it's a dog that races out at the fence or races at him, we have the whole bristle up 
he doesn't bark at them. He just bristles. And it's like, oh, my God, there's another dog. He's not afraid of them. Environmentally, he's incredibly sound. You know, I've taken him to all the places I can take him. I live out in the country, so he's great in the woods. We go to parking lots. He's fine in parking lots. Home Depot socialization is what we've got, man. I am a killer in parking lots. I'm all about that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I guess my question to you or my response to you, and please know, yes, I've been training dogs for 20 years and, oh God, I'm getting old. But I mean, I think that there are way more nuances to what I'm going to explain to you. I think really solid counterconditioning and desensitization well before the show ring or the show arena has happened. First of all, here's an example. I just took my new rescue dog out today to the beach. Yeah, I'm a trainer. Totally. It was awful. She had her good points and her very bad points. But one of the reasons that I did this today was I needed to determine her threshold. And by threshold, was that five feet, 10 feet, 100 feet, 300 feet? And for my dog, it's like 200 feet before she starts to say, oh my God, there's a dog in my vicinity and I'm going to bark. But I know your dog doesn't bark, but erection is this, yeah. You don't know at this point in time, whether that's fear, whether that's anxiety, whether that's aggression, whether that's whatever. And aggression, pure aggression is so rare, even in Malinois. One of the interesting things, when I have taken him, we have a small group here doing scent work, nose work. I can walk into that. He looks around and says, okay, fine. And there's 10 other dogs standing around. And he's never had an issue. But at that dog show, he just went absolutely nuts. And by the way, he was not in the ring. No way, no how. That was a good choice, Wendy. That was my suggestion. Go to the dog show. Don't enter him. Just go. Oh, no, (laughs) oh no, 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 no. Yeah. Okay. So did you say it was a nose work? Yes. All right. Well, that's a very different environment than a show ring. Sure. Sure. These are dogs that are typically separated because one dog at a time can do their nose work. And even though I'm sure he was viewing a lot of other dogs and a lot of other dogs in the environment, I think that's a very calm environment compared to to Yeah, I would agree with that, Melina. You haven't been to a dog show, but I think you nailed that one. I never brought him into the ring. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I was just in that horrible parking lot in an RV. Can you literally create the association that you're sitting on a park bench and you say, my dog, my Malinois is going to watch the world go by. I'm going to feed when a dog is within and I'm going to say, you know, 20 feet, but you're going to have to determine this for yourself. When that pile of erection happens, when that hair standing up happens, if it happens at 20 feet away, then you have to start feeding at 30 feet away. The moment that that dog passes, the bar closes. You know what? 
the best thing that ever happened to you was a dog approaching. Not interaction, not nose to nose, just watching the world go by. And once that dog is past a foot or so, whoops, there's no more treats available to you. I'm so sorry about that. Okay. We'll give it a shot. And I will tell you this, counter conditioning is a slow process. Oh, I get that. So what your goal will be, and, you know, I already kind of alluded to the fact that I'm kind of a geek with data tracking. Your goal will be to say, I'm just picking a number here. We started at 20 feet and in a couple of weeks, he was wagging his tail at 20 feet. But when they got to 15 feet, his erection happened again. And you'll see these small increments of like, oh, at 30 feet, I love dogs approaching. Oh, at 27 or 25 feet, mm, not as comfortable. So one of the things I was wondering Now, I can take him down to the park. Well, it's not a park. There's a bunch of fields here, and we're loose. Other people are there with single dogs. They're quite a ways away. He doesn't even look at them. Doesn't even pay any attention to them. No leash, though. No leash. That's number one. And he's totally engaged with the ball. You know, he loves to run after that chucket. But I was wondering if, It was also a question of the number of dogs that were at that show. Absolutely, it can be. He'd never seen a poodle with a haircut, for goodness sakes. You know, the poor dog went cross-eyed. Now, come on. (laughs) Poodles aren't that scary. Well, they were to him. I love them. But, yeah, he was like, huh? And with coats on, you know, dogs with coats on and things like that. And I was just thinking that it was a question of intensity, you know, the number of dogs and the difference of what he is used to. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And first of all, I want to say, I mean, I personally have a dog that is ball crazed. She's also reactive to other dogs. If I'm throwing a ball, she's like, I hate you, but I'm too busy chasing my ball. So go away. But obviously don't take the ball literally out of the equation, but take it out of the equation and just be like, you see that dog at 30 feet? You get the best Pecorino Romano cheese ever kind of thing. Yep. Well, thank you. My pleasure. All right, you guys. We have taken more than enough of Melina's time, which has been very graciously offered to us, and we appreciate it so much. All right, crew. Are you excited for Westminster this year? (laughs) I say come Join us for a Breeder Appreciation Party on Friday, June 11th, being sponsored by Good Dog, Embark Vet, and Troopanion. We'll be outdoors at Hudson Anchor Rooftop, less than 10 minutes away from Westminster, and there will be free food, drinks, live music, giveaways from Chris Christensen, Revival Animal Health, and more. Plus... You can bring your dogs and celebrate the return of dog shows with lots of your fellow breeders. And P.S. If you didn't get the memo yet, Greenwich Kennel Club is hosting a weekend of standalone specialties just 30 miles down the road from Terrytown in Norwalk, Connecticut. I'll be floating around in all the places and I can't wait to see everybody. 
As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.